Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, we're glad that you're here. We're continuing in our series that we're calling Canoeing the Mountains. This comes from a leadership book that basically allows us and teaches us to learn to do what we don't know what to do. And um, it uh, comes from the story of Lewis and Clark. When they were prepared and going through the Louisiana Purchase, they were going to reach a moment that they had planned, prepared for, they were experts at. They get to that moment and they have to change everything. At that moment, they have to drop what they're good at and they have to learn to do something that they're not good at. And what we've said is following Jesus requires just that over and over and over and over again. That we're trying to faithfully and flexibly learn to follow Jesus. And, and last week we learned um, this simple truth that who I follow Jesus with determines how far I follow Jesus. So we said that, that, that Jesus doesn't call anybody alone in this thing. That, that, that we are to live in community together. And, and, and we looked at the calling of the disciples and the apostles. And we looked at how different that and diverse that community was. And we said for sure that in that community there would be conflict. And then we showed this chart and we said that this was sort of the relationship life cycle sometimes of a church. And, and this got a lot of response and, and a lot of people just saying through God's grace and his mercy, he was able to speak to me and let me know where I am in this journey in my life. And we said that it starts with introduction, goes to infatuation, commitment, and then inevitably we will always hit conflict. It's not a matter of if we do, it's a matter of when we do. And there's two choices. You can bail, and then that life cycle starts over and over and over again. Or we can persevere, and we can have deeper relationships. We can have growth. And then when that happens, that shows the world that that's different, that that has people introduce them to be a part of that. And so this week is a continuation of that. This was sort of a two-part planned series. And we can still learn from, from the corpse of discovery, which was Lewis and Clark, and what's interesting is, is to read the journals of Meriwether Lewis at the front of the journey and then towards the end of the journey. Before they set sail in St. Charles, he writes this, Every individual of the party are in good health, and we are in excellent spirits. We are excited. Yeah, because you ain't gone nowhere yet, bro. Like, it's like family vacation when you're in the driveway, Okay. Like, we are, we are excited. We are in good spirits here. And then when you think about the journey and everything, he writes a letter to President Thomas Jefferson on their way back, and it says this. Many of our men are still complaining of being unwell. They are unhealthy and sick, and many of us remain weak. 
when I read that, you know immediately what I thought? That's like the start of a relationship, and then like in the middle of a relationship is what that is. That's like, hey, I'm beginning this journey. I'm now in community, and this is great, and this is awesome, and now things are difficult. And, and listen, this is something that we have to understand, and this is a fundamental truth, that conflict is certain in community. That's a fact. And, and, and I heard a preacher say it this way, and I'll never forget it. He said, Pastor, be weary if there's never conflict in your church. Because if there's never conflict in your church, that means that you have surface-level relationships. I mean, this is true, right? I mean, take marriage, for example. Our definition of marriage here is two sinners in close proximity to one another, right? And so if we are sinners saved by God's grace and we are living life together and we are in close proximity to one another, there will be conflict. There will be conflict. So the question is, how do we handle that? How do we handle that? Well, um, I firmly believe that if the church is the family of God, which is, by the way, the New Testament definition of what the church is, a local church is a family of God. Um, early Christians were even sort of uh, had derogatory terms thrown to them because they referred to people as brothers and sisters. So it's a new family. Well, the way that you resolve conflict in your new family is directly affected by the way that you've learned to resolve conflict in your biological family. There's no question that each and every one of us in this room have grown up in a certain culture of conflict, right? And I know what you're saying. You're saying, Jason, can we spend some more time in my family of origin and conflict? Sure, I got a couple examples right here. Let's just do that. Um, the first one is this. How about call out? Right? So some of us are like, conflict? I got no problem with conflict. We call that out because this is just, and, right? And you're just, okay, okay. Um, there's some good. The, I, we, we need to handle some stuff. That's okay. But in the tone in which we do that and how we do that, what happens in call-out culture is inevitably and always this. You push people away. Right? So when they see you in Walmart, they're like, not going down that aisle, okay, right? Because we don't, it's, it's fear. And so now we even carry that into if there's any sort of conflict at any level, we're sort of triggered and it's bad. And, and, and so there's call-out culture. Um, or how about this? Um, hang out. Just hang out. So maybe we grew up in a culture of conflict where it was like every ounce in you does not talk about the conflict that's happening in this family. And what we're going to do is we're going to pretend we're the cleavers and we're going to vacuum wearing pearls, okay? Like what in the world, all right? And we're going to hang out. And here's what happens. And here's how you know if you're in a hangout culture. You always leave and you grieve a little bit because you go, this is surface, man. This isn't real. How are you? Good. How are you? Busy. Good to see you. Good to see you. How are you? Right? And there's something that's happened, but we're just hanging out. We're just hanging out. Or how about this? Um, check out. See ya. Bye. Somebody say conflict. Deuces. I'm out of here. Right? My, um, my dad didn't meet his biological father until he was 37 years old. Um, my grandpa went to go get a watermelon and a pack of cigarettes and came back 37 years later, okay, which is an epidemic in this culture with men who don't know how to handle conflict. It's the eject button. So instead of handling conflict, he went around the country setting up franchises is what he did. And so we check out. We leave. It's distractions. It's whatever. All of those are out. 
all of those in the relationship further and further and further and further away from one another. But I believe that there is a kingdom way. And the kingdom way is to call in. To call in. But calling in is, is, is tricky. It's risky. Calling in, um, listen, is not safe. If you choose to live in the call-in culture, I cannot guarantee safety. I cannot guarantee that protection. I can't. There's a level of risk in, in the relationship. And I believe what Jesus is saying is the way that we handle conflicts in the kingdom of God and what we see in Matthew chapter 18 is a calling-in process. A calling-in process. The context that we see, if you look in Matthew chapter 18, um, I mean, Jesus hits temptation to sin. I mean, he hits later on in the next chapter, divorce. He, he, he hits who's the greatest, like all of this stuff. And what he's saying, and it's very important to understand, Matthew chapter 18 is for the church. It's for believers. It's for Christians to work out conflict from one another. And I think there is a main thrust in the text. And I believe that Jesus is teaching an overarching theme. And it's this. Resolving conflict is the responsibility of every Christian. Resolving conflict is a responsibility for every Christian. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to resolve relational conflict in your life. Listen, this sermon, not for your boss. This sermon, not for Bill, all right? This sermon is for us who are sitting under the word of God, who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, this is what the culture is like. That if we are on this journey together as a body of believers, and we're going to encounter so many things in this culture that we don't know what to do, we have to know how to do this, or it'll never survive. I believe that there's four phases in this process. And listen, today, it's a different kind of sermon, all right? And so just be glad that you don't have my job today, all right? But I'm going to stick very close to the text. And listen, I'm going to, there's going to be some questions. There's going to be some questions that I don't answer for you and that I don't resolve for you. You know why? Because I believe that Jesus doesn't answer every single detail of every single relational conflict in this passage. You know why? Because I believe maybe the answer to your question is on the other side of obeying what Jesus says here. Because I know what we're all saying. Well, my relationship, I mean, I've got, you don't, well, I did the thing, and then they said, and what, what, what would I do if I did this? Well, what about this? Well, what about, and what we're doing is we're arguing our way, and we're saying, well, my situation is so unique, right? Okay, love you, not a snowflake here, all right? Love you, all right? But I believe what Jesus is saying is these are four phases of a principle that, if applied, resolve conflict. The first one is this. We engage privately. If there's a conflict with a fellow Christian, first off, we engage privately. Now, I have five questions to help you clarify what that's like, and it comes from every word in verse 15, okay? The first question is this, is the person a Christian? Look at what he says. If your brother, if your brother or sister sins against you, why is it important to establish that? Well, because as Christians, we hold the word of God like this. Above us. That's why there's so much Bible in the service. That's why there's a moment where everything stops and we read God's word. Do you know what we believe just happened? We believe we heard God audibly. It just sounded like Pastor Tyler. Okay, right? 
It's the very word of God. And so what we say is that that's the power. That's the ultimate authority. Why is it important to establish if this person is a Christian or not? Because if it's two fellow Christians that are sitting amongst each other, that there's a relational conflict that we are working to resolve, this is what governs the conversation. This is where the authority comes from. Nobody sits in the seat of judgment at that point. We're all under this. So is this person a Christian? The second question is this. Is this a sin? If your brother sins against you. Sin. Is there chapter and verse for this? Do we know the principles from God's word as to define what sin is? Sins are not mistakes. Now, I believe that there can be mistakes that are made that that hurt a relationship. And sins also are, are, or it's also not like um, quirks in a community, right? Because here's the deal. We're all weird. Let's just, can we just put that out on the table? Everybody in here is weird. Everybody's got little quirks about them. Like some of us are mouth breathers in here, okay, right? I'm just kidding, okay? Um, That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying like, I'm not going to community group because I just, ugh, that uh, person, that's not it. That's not it. There's a sin here that's happened. There's an egregious here. Is this a sin? The third thing is this. Um, does this even involve me? If your brother sins against you, you, are there times where you step in if there is abuse, if there's crime? You know what we say here at Westside? We say that you can love Jesus and you can love that person and you can call the cops on them and pray for them and usher them right into the cop car because Jesus loves justice. So let's just go ahead and put that out there, okay? But is this about you? Or, or, or is this something that you're, you're interested in? I believe our lives would be so much less hectic if we focus more on our circle of influence and relationships than others in that. So is this person a Christian? Is this a sin? Does this involve me? And how about this? Have I initiated the conversation? If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault. Go. Interesting. Jesus puts the ball of responsibility in your hands. So the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, if possible, as much as depends on you. So, so, so let's go ahead and tear down this argument. I'm fine. I'm fine, and I'm more than willing to talk, Pastor. I'm just waiting them to come to me. Okay, number one, I don't know why I do that accent. The Southern, I don't know why. It just, that just happens, okay? Number one, that may never happen in your life. And if we're honest, I think you kind of like it that way. Because it's so much easier to blame and put it there. And what Jesus says is, no, no, no. This grace, this forgiveness, this mercy that binds this community together, it does something. It initiates something. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God did not wait for you to come to Him. God came to you in Christ. That's the motivation. Have I initiated this conversation? And then the last thing is this. What's my motive? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Between you and him alone, engaged privately. What's your motive? Because guess what? There's no Facebook affirmations for something that you don't post on Facebook. So if there's an egregious in a relationship, and we're talking people we're living life together with, 
we go, what's my motive here? Is this pure to, to resolve this issue? It's to engage it privately. Now, I believe as, as, as you walk through steps like this, I believe like 95% of conflicts could be resolved at this point, right? I mean, like if we're walking through going, okay, this guides me here, this guides here, I'm going here, we're having conversations here, we are engaged in this. And then Jesus says this, look, this is great, this is good news. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Like Jesus is putting a lot of stock in phase one, in my opinion. So this will be fun. This is good. Let's have positive here. I'm going to read that. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. I want you to cheer. Can we all go, yay? It's fine. Just say it through your gritted teeth. Okay, here we go. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. This is great. This is good news. Our relationship's resolved. We have deeper relationships now. Um, but, but, but if he doesn't listen, okay, so, so phase one. And uh, by the way, by the way, how many times does Jesus tell us to do phase one? Anybody? Anybody? How many times? Two? We good with two? Three? Give me five. Give me five. Five, five, five. Go six. Go six. Seven. Some of y'all are like 77, right? <laughs> okay. Um, Jesus doesn't say. I believe that's massively significant. Phase one could be a year of your life. Like, like do relationships matter that much? Yes. According to the word of God, yes. So now there's, there's something that's happening after phase one. But if he doesn't listen, so now we go to phase two, which is establish certainty. Look at verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two brothers along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, so, so now it's, the relationship's turned up now. So three more questions. The first one is this. Um, is there resistance to repentance? Because that's where we're going, right? And by the way, repentance, not a dirty word, right? Repentance is good news. Repentance is you are heading into oncoming traffic. Don't go that way. Turn, repent, turn from that direction and come this way. I mean, that was Jesus' first sermon. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is turning from sin and trusting in Christ. This is a good thing. But at phase two, it seems to be that there's resistance here towards that. And we need to establish that. But if he doesn't listen, I mean, like how many times, like, let's just count. We don't have anything to do right now. Let's just count how many times the word listens used in the passage. Want to do that? Great. Let's go. Verse 16. But if he does not listen... Verse 15, he even uses it. If he listens, verse 16, but if he does not listen, verse 17, if he refuses to listen, and if he refuses to listen, the word listen that's used there um, means to concentrate. This is not a flippant listen to. This is to set my eyes and my mind upon something. Is there a resistance to that? The second question is this. Who is a godly, neutral mediator that you may take one or two others along with you. Listen, godly, a fellow Christian, neutral mediator. Okay, listen, look up here. Don't take your mama to no conflict resolution, all right? Because she's mama, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't matter. It's my baby. I'm God. It's love you, mama. I love you. This is great. But we're talking about conversations with two friends, two people living in community together. We need somebody to sit down at the table with us, 
over a cup of coffee, one or two. And by the way, I side with, I think, phase two has other phases in it, which is one other person. Now I'm bringing two more people and possibly another third person involved in this. And every time that we're doing that, we are establishing something that's taken place here. So a godly neutral mediator. And then the third question is this. Is this clearly a sin? At this point, I believe that Jesus is allowing the process to speak for itself. Um, emotions are not evidence. And feelings are not facts. Here's what we say at Westside. Feelings are a good gauge, but they're a poor guide. And I believe that if we, I mean, like, if, if we're really in this and we really care about our relationships and who we're living life with, at this point, something's been established here. There's an egregience that has taken place. And most of the time, most of the time, the sins that we have are connected to the idols that we love. We will protect what we love. Where we get security, belonging, significance, whatever that is, we will now protect that, even though that thing is killing us. And Jesus is saying here, at this point, this is to be established. And I know what we're saying. Jeez, this is what the Bible says about friendship? Good Lord. Right? What happened to the, like, Friends, the TV show, or something like that, right? Um, well, I would say this. I believe that the church has bought the lie and bought into a poor quality of relationships. I mean, according to the scriptures, this is all we've got. This is what we have. And the book of Proverbs would say this, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Listen, if you love me, if you love me and you see something in my life that is killing me and our relationship and you say nothing of that, what love is that? What is the level of our relationship there with that? And so Jesus is saying, listen, we need to engage privately. There's, we don't know the limit on that. And I don't believe there is one. Then if it's getting turned up more, we need to establish some certainty. What's clearly happening here? And then the third thing that we see what Jesus says is this. Expose corporately. Look at verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. The word that Jesus uses for church there is the ecclesia. It's the gathering. It's the same thing that he says that the gates of hell will not prevail. It. I, will, I will build my church. So here's what we need to do when we come to parts like this in the Bible. We need to ask ourselves this question. Not what Google says, not what a denom denomination says, not what this preacher says. Dear Lord, don't let me be above anything else. We need to ask ourselves this question. Where is that principle found anywhere else in Scripture? We need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Put your Bible marker that you never get to use right there in Matthew chapter 18. You get to use it now. You get your money's worth right there. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And it is very clear that at some point this process has taken place. Now, I don't believe that this is just for everybody that attends on Sunday, by the way. Nope. One of, my, one of the arguments, what I believe for church membership is, if it's very clear that there's a clear process of um, going out, then it assumes to me that there's a clear process of coming in. 
If there's a clear process of out, then there's a clear process of in of what that is. And so it's not just Sunday attendance. And what we have here is the connection class. And what you're saying in the connection class is, I want to live in accountability. I want to love. When I want these deep relationships that are going to be the most rewarding things in my life. But look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. I mean, we're just Jerry Springer, DEFCON 9 here. I mean, this is some serious stuff. We're just reading the Bible, okay? Verse 2. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if I am present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. You are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus. And you are to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. We okay? Everybody still love their Bible in here? Listen, we're either in this and we either stand like this or we don't stand at all. And I know, where's the grace, brother? Where's the grace in the new covenant here? Well, um, I believe that when you say that, you are highly underestimating the damage that sin can do. And what he's saying is this is a sign of God's grace. This is the sign of mercy and grace in your life. Is when those who love you most would risk the relationship to call in and say, this cannot continue this direction. And I know what the argument is. Well, what about the do not judge part? Well, this sure sounds judgmental. Christians ain't supposed to judge like that. I'm glad you asked. Jump down and look at verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those who are outside. Purge the evil that is among you. You know what Paul's saying? Hey, newsflash. People that don't love Jesus act like they don't love Jesus. So we, we don't pronounce judgment on that. But those who have entered into the community of faith, passed through the waters of baptism, put their hands on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and have joined the local congregation in expression of the kingdom of God of heaven now here on earth, the book of 1 Peter would say that judgment begins at the household of God. That this is the sign of grace that is here. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I think there's a few questions that we can ask ourselves. That I believe that there's levels of authority that take place within the local church. The first question is this. If you've gone through the connection class or if you've joined a local church, you need to ask yourself this question. Who's my community group leader? At some point, I need to bring this in. So when Jesus says, tell the ecclesia, the gathering, I believe that we're at like DEFCON. This is serious now. And so now we're still walking through processes with what? With the goal, with the goal of bringing this back. So who's my community group leader? Second question. Who are my board members? Who are my board members? And then the third question, who are my pastors? I mean, do you see what we're walking through here? Don't hit bail. Don't hit eject. Because why? Because the goal of biblical confrontation is restoration, is to restore it. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Put this out from among you in hopes that the soul would be restored. And immediately, do you know what I think of when I think of that? Every time I read that, the Lord drops this into my soul. Have you ever been somewhere 
and phones have gone off and you get the alert and it's a license plate and it's a description, the Amber Alert. That actually was established in 1996 because Amber Hagerman, who was nine years old, was riding her bicycle outside of her house and somebody came and snatched her. And so now she worked with local law enforcement as to how to spread and, and how to end something like that. Alert and be aware. And when I see the Apostle Paul do that, it's almost like what he writes later on. And he says that the enemy, this is spiritual warfare, man. This is so much greater than what you would know. That the enemy who goes around prowling like a lion, seeking whom to devour, that when the church does this, they sound the alarm and they say that there's an enemy out there and someone has fallen prey to that. And please, dear God, let that happen so that we can bring them back in because the soul is worth it. The relationship is worth it. The confrontation and the goal is for restoration. It's to expose that corporately. And then Jesus puts another thing in phase four. He says this, to end it lovingly. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him or her be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus is using some specific language here. People didn't associate with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus did. He was actually called a friend of sinners. So I know what you're saying. Well, what about that? Well, number one, he's Jesus and you're not. Good Lord. Okay, right? What does this mean? Well, he actually answers it. Look at verse 18. There's been a lot of controversy over verses 18 and 19. But this sermon's pretty much headed in the controversial direction, so let's just drive right in. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What's he saying? Do you know what it means to be baptized into a local church? <laughs> I ain't nothing special about the water. I mean, the water is popper bluff, tap water. I mean, that's all we're talking about here. It's the sign of the covenant. You're, you're not only affirming your faith, it's the congregation that's affirming your faith. And what Jesus says is the last sign of God's grace and mercy on your life is when the local congregation removes the affirmation from that lifestyle in hopes that the last thing that would ever happen is you would see the people that love you most say, we cannot affirm that decision what this is, this is now Bible open, sin established, relationships destroyed, and someone saying, I know this is a sin, I know what God says about that, I know what the effect is, and I want to continue. The Apostle Paul would say in the book of Romans, that is severing your conscience. It's where we get the Greek word for lobotomy, to cut off your mind. This is the affirmation here. And then Jesus' promise is something in verse 19. And again I say, if two agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Churches always use that for like poor attendance. You know, like you plan an event, like nobody shows up, and you're like, well, two or three, brother, amen, right? It has nothing to do with that, okay? It's in the context of a church discipline case. So it's not like Jesus, by the way, was present with you in your car when there wasn't two or three, all right? What, what's he saying? This is what he's saying. Jesus promises his power and his presence when you practice what he says. And what if 
What if the quality of relationships and the longing of God to move in our life is found in trusting Jesus in the words that he says? What if this is it? Man, I don't want what the world has to offer. I don't want that. Listen, I've been down the road, man. And I'm a product of this process. When I left college and I came home, I was willfully sinning in my lifestyle. I knew what God's word said. I knew the decisions that I was making. And no one could tell me different. And I sat at the dining room table with my father, and we went at it. And his last words to me were, we love you and we will always be here for you, but we cannot affirm your lifestyle. And I said, then I am out of here. And when my world fell apart, guess where I went? I drove home. Because I knew he loved me enough to have the conversation with me. Listen, don't give up. Don't give up. Trust this process. Trust this process. Don't bail. Don't hit the eject button. What are we supposed to do? What's, what's the key to all of this? Why is this such a big deal? Why are we spending an entire sermon on this? Because I believe this. That forgiveness is the fuel that keeps a church moving forward. You show me a church split, you show me a church with six old angry people in it, I'll show you a church filled with unforgiveness. You can quote me on that, Jack. Forgiveness is the fuel that keeps a church moving forward, keeps a family moving forward, keeps a marriage moving forward, keeps all relationships moving forward. So what's our response? What are we supposed to do? Give me seven steps, pastor. Tie all the knots up for me. In Luke's gospel, he records this version. And he says these words. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And you know what the apostles say? You know how they respond? God, increase our faith. That's the response. That's your response to this sermon. Oh, God, increase my faith. God, give me that faith to do that, that way. So in closing, this is what we're going to do. We're going to ask for simply just that. I know that there's so many other factors, and I, I can't imagine what's happened to you, and I'm so sorry conflict and it was supposed the church is supposed to be a safe place and and I was hurt but I believe that the power and presence of Jesus can meet us right here so very simply all we're going to do together is we're going to do what the disciples did we're going to ask for God to increase our faith and then I believe the ball's left in your court and please listen to me don't put it down don't put it down because that very power and that very move of God that you're asking in your life, he will meet you there in faith as we step out in obedience. So Westside, stand to your feet and let us pray these simple words out loud together. Lift up our voices.
Heavenly Father, give me the faith to forgive others as You have forgiven me through Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before You. And God, as Your children, we come before You and we confess that we have not loved each other like we were supposed to. But for the grace of God, there we go as well. So God, what we ask is for your mercy and for your grace. The grace that you have shined in our hearts, may we shine it on others. And God, I pray. I pray for the people in this room and for the men and women who through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the proclamation of your word are going to initiate a conversation. There is so much fear. There is so much doubt there. God, I pray that you would embolden them. Embolden them that your presence would be so known there. And God, I pray for that relationship, that it would persevere, that it would grow, and that power would be seen there. God, we can't do this on our own. Increase our faith. Increase our capacity. Grant us this grace. For we pray this. In Jesus' name, the friend of sinners, amen.